Sarah, I'm part of the Who Got The Juice team with Alia and Rakeem. Unfortunately, Rakeem can't be here. But because he's got... a waste man. No, it's fine. Well, yeah. He's uh, education, he's yeah. doing But you've got right the thing. two most charming factors of Who Got The Juice, so <laughs> look at you guys. Uh, Who Got The Juice is one of the first live podcasts on radio, so we're part of Birmingham's biggest Afro-Caribbean community radio, which is New, New Star Radio. Big up. Yes. So we're lucky enough to be here with Patrice today. Like I'm gassed, so if I'm trembling a little bit, just ignore <laughs> it. I'm really professional right now. So <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, we're very gassed. <laughs> like what are words? A social construct. Um, but we'll come to social constructs later. So first of all, I just want to say thank you again, everyone, for coming here, and thank you so much for uh, Patrice for coming to Berms. Um, we're going to do a quick introduction um, to this incredible human being sitting next to us. So Patrice Khan Colors is an artist, an organizer, and freedom fighter from LA. Um, Patrice is founder of Dignity and Power Now, a performance artist, Fulbright scholar, popular um, public speaker, NAACP, history maker, and above all, the amazing and mighty co-founding force behind the Black Lives Matter movement, and also an eye-rolling at white fragility connoisseur. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 0121, Patrice. As you can tell, yeah. we've got a really warm welcome. We're all really happy to have you here. And we've got loads of either really irritating or excited questions to ask you. <laughs> but first things first, a very, very serious question we have to ask you. Yes. Have you seen Black Panther yet? Of course. Oh. <laughs> right. Come on now. What do you think? How do you feel? There's so many strong women in that film. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I was near tears. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Oh, I, 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 well, first of all, hi, everybody. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, such a warm welcome. Um, we've been on the road for the last few days, the amazing Freedom Bus being led by Nat and Lisa from Nottingham and Malachi from Nottingham and the teams in the house and just a lot of gratitude for the team. No way that we can have a movement without, without loads and loads of people. So I just need to, to big up the, uh, the team. Um, Black Panther is incredible. I mean, I, I was hyped for it. I remember when they came out with the trailer a year before, we were all like, we gotta wait a year! Um, and yeah, I just was like ready for the, the event of Black Panther. And, the, and I wouldn't, I, I knew it was gonna be big for black people around the world, but I didn't, you never know when something's gonna like take over. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's hit like what, a bill now? Yeah. Like it's ridiculous, it's like yeah. seventh ranking biggest film available. Yeah. So who would you say your favorite character is? Who would you say the buffest character? Oh <laughs> well, the buffest character is definitely the brother from the the the, the tribe up in the mountains. The Jabari! Oh, yes. uh, the Jabari tribe. Man alive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The one, the one, the one that properly shut down that white dude. Oh, gosh. Um, but my favorite character is obviously Okoye. Hey. Yeah, Okoye is. <laughs> She's the one, yo. She's the one. Nah, you can't. The whole movie that. should have been about her. Tell you the truth. She needs a spinoff. So yeah, needs a they're, spin they're working. I mean, they're like, it's in the, the social media is trying to take it over. So we'll mm -hmm. see what. That's happens. what we'll take care of it, man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll have that one. <laughs> Juice. Yo. Yeah. Yeah.
You put me daily on that high stool. Secret giggles like we in high school. Love notes like verses, chips and haikus. Ciphers, words, cycles. You make my heart full. Spoke that good stuff in the chill room. Rooftops in the sunset. And now we lounging. Talking about the good life that we walking. Mighty tight sundown. Dumbing no skulking. Break in the light under the full moon. Keep it fun, keep it cute, keep it friendly. Giggling, making memories. Ah, let's stay young. Let's stay young forever. Keep it fun, keep it cute, keep it friendly. Giggling, making memories. Ah, let's stay young. Let's stay young together. We stay, we stay under the full moon. We stay. A lot of people are aware of obviously the incredible work um, that you've done um, and that you've been doing alongside Alicia Opal and all the other um, chapters of BLM across the um, across America but also across the world. What does it feel like leaving um, LA and coming to different places across the world um, and seeing the movement really take up here? I know that was like Wow, you talk about Black Panther, <laughs> and now like, but yeah. Um, it's it's powerful. It's uh, exciting. It's um, there's so much potential and opportunity mm. uh, that Black Lives Matter offers around the world, and I, I get to see it firsthand often, um, and get to just be in the the glory of Black folks, um, mm. and it, it, it's a true honor and blessing, and um, everybody, everybody. Uh, even even people who aren't black should be really proud to see the, this movement that should be a movement for all of us mm. um, grow in the way that it has and impact people in the way that it has. Um, yeah. Cool. For those that don't actually know, how did it actually start? Would you mind mm. giving like a brief account of where this all mm. came from? I don't mind. Um, 
you know, in some ways, I, I talk about it different. I, I'll always say the core of the story, but in some ways, it's important to know, you know, a bit about the the, the landscape of, of of the states mm -hmm. and why a generation would uprise, you know, in this particular moment. But I think. In a lot of ways, we're a forgotten generation. We're a generation that uh, lived through deindustrialization, and so when the U.S. pulled basically all its workforce and companies out of the U.S. and U.S. and then shipped them overseas, that it's the it's the generation that literally experienced in a 40-year span the rise of incarceration rates that went went from 200,000 people to 2.2 million people. Um, we, we are the generation that experienced um, the war on drugs um, and the brunt of it and the, the rise of police militarization and um, the use of uh, the school to prison pipeline to, um, you know, pre-prison young people. And so this is like the context in which a Black Lives Matter would form, right? And we we saw 1992 with the uprisings in Los Angeles. I was only nine years old during those uprisings, but I remember what it felt like to um, not have, not have like a movement at that moment really hold and shape. And, um, and uh, I, I think, you know, Oscar Grant dies, um, is murdered at the BART station a couple years before BLM happens and people did people did protest around the country for Oscar Grant and and then Trayvon Martin is killed in 2012 and that year you know it was basically his parents and some really brave um, organizations that decided that they were going to try to make sure George Zimmerman at least was arrested and there was a fair trial and of course the fair there's no such thing as a fair trial um, because mm -hmm. George Zimmerman got to go home, and um, Trayvon Martin's parents, um, you know, were not just. There was no justice for them, but they're they were humiliated the whole year, that whole year in the trial. You know, mm. their family was humiliated. Trayvon was humiliated, and so when this verdict comes down that George Zimmerman is acquitted, um, it felt like a betrayal. Another set of betrayals that I had I had experienced for so much of my life that Black people had experienced for so much of our lives. And I think that betrayal is felt around the world. There's a betrayal that black people feel um, by our countries, by colonialism, by our colonizers around the world. And um, people, you know, the beautiful protests, amazing protests. And a lot of things happen in between, but on July 13, 2013, Alicia Garza wrote a love note to black people and said Black Lives Matter. And I put a hashtag in front of Black Lives Matter and she was like, what's that? <laughs> and I was like, this is about to make this bad boy go viral. <laughs> and um, a couple days later, um, Opal Tometi called Alicia and said, I want to jump on board. And she created the sort of infrastructure, the, the first round of communications infrastructure so that it could go viral. Um, and, and we had a, our first political platform, Black Lives Matter. And, it, and, it, and within that year, we really did a lot of organizing people around it. We sat in rooms like these. We, gotten phone calls, we, we talked to the people closest to us. How do you want to incubate this? What do you want to make this? And then Mike Brown dies, he's murdered. And then Black Lives Matter goes viral. Um, it goes worldwide, I would yeah. say, because it had already gone viral inside the States, but it went worldwide. And 
that's when the global network, the chapter-based system, member-led system was really built. It was built out of that moment. Yeah, so it's, it's important to know that conversations like these, spaces like these are important. So if we go from a conversation that you guys had just in the States, Black Lives Matter now has 40 official chapters worldwide. Mm. That alone is incredible. That figure is it's incredible. So, like, and just moving on from that and talking about um, some of the roots, obviously every tree has its roots um, and it's quite easy to sort of erase sort of some of the work that had come before yeah. um, and particularly the things that yourself, Alicia and Opal were consuming around the time as well. So I just wanted to ask, what were the sort of philosophies you were t um, taking up around that period of time? Who were you reading? Like, who really helped to catalyze in that time? Um, well. We're, you know, all of us would um, call ourselves black feminists, um, and um, two of us are queer. I, I'm, I'm, I identify as queer, so does Alicia. And Opal um, is the daughter of Nigerian immigrants. And so <laughs> this becomes an important, um, this becomes an important, important to us because we, well, we started Black Lives Matter and we already had. We were already doing our own work. Alicia is a labor organizer. Um, I've been working on um, abolition work for a very long time, and taking on um, state violence and mass incarceration. And um, Opal is the um, ED of the largest um, immigrants' rights organization for Black people in the U.S. And so um, we brought sort of all those ideas and ideologies into one conversation around Black Lives Matter. And we also, um, we were disappointed in the um, black liberation spaces that we had partaken in as younger people um, because they often were solely focused on black men. And we, when we were in those spaces, you know, we'd want to talk about women and they would say, oh, we'll have a caucus for women. We'll have a caucus for women. We'll have a caucus for queer people. Instead of sort of, really leaning into the intersectionality um, of the conversation and, on, and also leaning into black feminism, you know, and the roots of black feminism for us. And so a lot of the readings that we were doing um, were from the Kombahi River Collective. Um, we obviously read lots of Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks, lots of Octavia Butler, but we've also read lots of Marx and Lenin and Mao. I mean, we're well-read and well-trained and, um, and feel very proud of it, uh, very proud of our, our organizing training. And um, that would shape BLM. And very quickly we saw that people wanted BLM to be a thing that was, you know, I remember a journalist, um, me having a long conversation with journalists, and then the next thing I see written is Black Lives Matter, the movement for the, the fight against police brutality against black men. And I was like, I don't remember ever saying that. Um, and so ha we were big on narrative shifting. Yeah. Um, and that became really important. Yeah, so that leads, actually leads on perfectly to my next question, the fact of documentation, because for the longest of times when you think of like the civil rights movement and black power movement, you get the buzzwords of you get your Michaels, you get Michael? Malcolm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you get your Martins and you think of those, the big men within those movements and women don't really, there's not much room for women in that. So. I'd like to think, luckily, in the age of social media, as detrimental as it can be, I feel that it is a perfect preservation to know who you are as a woman yeah. behind this massive thing. So do you feel that 
documenting this is important to you? Oh, it's extremely, mm. incredibly important. Because what we've seen historically is that people who end up telling the stories about what happened then um, don't talk about the complexity and the role of women in our movements. And so social media and like just new media becomes an important uh, pivot away from what we've seen in the past around an incredibly male-dominated movement that was not even, it was visibly male-dominated, but in reality, it was very much led by black women. Yeah, no, most definitely. I wanted to ask, as a movement, has there been any sort of co-opting of that um, black feminist, queer black feminist ideology and also safeguarding it from misogynoir? And how do we, as we're trying to like hurt and heal as these communities, make sure that we still have that space to call out that behavior that is anti-woman? Yeah, I mean, of course it has. And it will continue to be until we get rid of patriarchy and you know, misogyny. And, um, and, there, and, then, and I think we also sometimes, like regular folk, don't realize how much we aren't doing the research around an organization or somebody you know, and I'll get like, oh, I thought this person started Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, you clearly didn't read anything or research. It's really lazy of you. Um, but <laughs> we, 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 whatever is the most visible is what we attach ourselves to. Um, and there's, you know, journalists who I've met who are like, I had no idea you started Black Lives Matter until I read your book. You know, I didn't know it was created by three black women. Um, and so this, this is a common theme. Media, it's in part us. You know, we lift up people. Um, we choose who we lift up, right? Um, my, my partner, Janae Khan, wrote a really beautiful article after the Parkland shootings in, in Florida. And, and, and essentially, they were, you know, very much uplifting the young people who are fighting gun violence. And at the same time, they're like, we've been fighting gun violence for the last five years as Black Lives Matter. And, and this movement has literally utilized every single mechanism that we have, direct action, they've gone to the government, they've done, they're going to do a huge protest in March, and yet some of the people who criticize Black Lives Matter is praising them. And so we have to talk about how the fight against police brutality and the fight against police violence and the larger fight becomes, a, it, it's racialized, you know. White people get to be heroes. They get to be victims and they get to be heroes. Um, and black people get to be blamed for the harm that's been caused against us. Uh, and so how do we challenge that? And I think new media allows for a challenge in that conversation. Mm, definitely. I think it's fair to say that with what you've done, with the amazing work you've done, comes straight, great responsibility and great stress. Like, no doubt, mm. there is, as much as you have the support from everyone in this room and worldwide, there is a lot of that pushback, there's a lot of backlash. So how do you go about self-preservation, what do you do to ensure that you're okay, that you can switch off and you feel good about yourself? Do you golf, do you do yoga? Like, what is it that you do that puts a smile back on your face? Because I personally will be in tears all the time, personally. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I spent the last few, I spent the last, I mean, the first couple of years in tears all the time. Um, not as much anymore, uh, but it, it, takes a, it takes a type of toughening that I don't necessarily like, because I'm, I'm a softie. I enjoy that about myself, and so it does take a type of toughening. Um, but uh, I think for me, I'm a big fan of talk therapy, so I have a, th a, a therapist that I see regularly, and I think every black person, as part of our reparations package, deserves a therapist. <laughs> yes, please. I'm gonna take a note of that right <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> 
also, just a quick shout out to Birmingham-based African-centered therapy um, center, Patty Gift, yes. who are down the road. So yeah, get your reparations. And <laughs> yeah, I'm a big, big fan. Um, I think we all need that mm. space to process, um, especially if there's black folks that are doing therapy for us, go to them. Um, yeah, we, we need that space on a regular basis. So that's oh, yeah. kind of my lifeline as my therapist. And, um, and then I believe in like, you know, taking walks in my neighborhood. I have like a very hyper puppy. And <laughs> so when I'm home, I have a child who I get to just like hang out with and love up on, have a partner when we get to see each other. Cause they also trout there in the movement too. So they're traveling a lot. Um, we spend time together. Um, I try to spend time with friends and family as much as possible. And it's always good when I'm in communities and hoods and countries where I have people because then I feel like I'm with family and it doesn't feel as lonely because it's a lonely it's a lonely road that's really that's, you know, that's mm. really nice to hear like I'm glad that wherever you go you are made to feel welcome because we all have a lot of respect for you here thank so, you that's really and a lot of love as well thank you um we wanted to sort of ask so that sort of work-life balance um obviously you're on the road at the <laughs> moment so a lot of sleeping in cars yeah um and living your best life. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, like, how do you, how do you organize, as well as organizing and putting so much of yourself into the movement, how do you organize that work-life balance? Um, and how did you find time to love as well? Um, I don't know if I have a work-life balance very good right now. <laughs> it's also, well, I'm in the grind. I'm, I'm, I'm a book, on a book tour and I've been on it, Lord have mercy, that since J January 12th. Um, so I haven't really been home, but I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of plans. I'm gonna take two weeks off. Yeah. I'm turning my freaking phone off. <laughs> I'm getting off social media. <laughs> uh, I'm just kicking with my family and my child. And so that, that is a, that's like a new world for me because I wouldn't have planned time off in the past. I would have just kept going and been like, oh shoot, I didn't, book to, I didn't plan. So I'm planning time off um, and uh, you know, I don't know if that I don't know if there's a such thing as work-life balance for organizers. I might be a really bad example. Um, I, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have healthy balance, but like there's cer certain roles in the world where where I've, this is my this is not just my work; it's my life. Mm. So I think what I've had to learn to do though is like take the space and breaks for myself and my health. And also so I can like pay attention to other people like my friends and my family. Um, but I don't imagine like work-life balance is kind of like super middle class, mm -hmm. very like, you know. I've got time to spend. Yeah, yeah. I have a nanny that can take <laughs> care of my kid. And um, I, my mom does live with us and she does, she is like, she is our support. But like, it, it, I think there's a different framework for us, which is about like, how do, in this intense work that we do, how do we take care of ourselves and how do, how do the collectives that we're with and the organizations that we're with create the space so that we can also take care of ourselves? Yeah. And that's how yeah. I try to move. No, it's true, it's true. I think, yeah, looking back at that, that, that question, it's not work-life work -life balance as if like you're building a company, like this is community yeah. work, yeah. it's sort of lifting the community, yeah. the community never stops. Yeah. So, but make sure you're looking after yourself because you've got a beautiful smile and you want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing that both gives us life or really helps us like when we're getting down is music. 
Mm. Yes. <laughs> the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> so first we wanted to ask, are there any Birmingham artists you're listening to I have at the no moment? Idea, but... <laughs> Do you listen to Laura and Vula? Yeah, that's a She's Birmingham. from Birmingham. Oh. <laughs> you know, yes. Laura in the room. Claimer. No one ever knows she's a Brummie, but like. I had no idea. She's yeah. amazing. I've been listening to her for a very long time. She got me through a lot of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta like school me on all the Birmingham artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got you. We got, you. <laughs> <laughs> we got so all the music. Anybody? We'll, we'll allow you to go worldwide now. We'll open the genres. Anybody in particular that you're loving that's helping you get through this tour right now? Um, I mean, we've been bumping stuff on the van, which is always nice. Uh, who are we bumping on the van? Uh, Dennis Brown. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the crew. Oh, <laughs> Love a bit of Varys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. What have I been listening to? See, look at they got me. <laughs> I don't even got to do nothing except That's a show team. up. That's a team. <laughs> oh, bless them! Bless them so much. Yeah, I mean, I obviously for like an entire year played Solange's album. As you do, As still goes out saying the timeless gospel. Exactly, um, but it depends. I, I, I'm I'm an artist. I'm a performance artist, so I'm like always like play like just YouTubing and like what's a new sound what's the thing that I can listen to it really really depends like someone else is listening to something I'm like oh that's interesting what's that mm -hmm. um I love music though I and my child loves to sing so we spend Aww. a lot of time we wake up and turn on music and he will belt his little lungs out it's super cute I couldn't think of a better way to start the day to be honest <laughs> exactly I really, I really couldn't I really couldn't Juice. It could be so easy when we love I don't wanna keep it undercover I wanna be the one you trust The one you long for like no other Babe, I couldn't tell you quite enough Staying away is getting tough I just wanna call you on your phone Don't leave me alone Don't
little dance Why don't we dance for a little dance Make believe into ecstasy Leave your seat, take the lead Why don't we groove for a little groove I wanna move for a little move Come with me into ecstasy Just for me, take the lead Is this your first time in the UK? No, I was here in 2015. Mm. Yeah, I was here right after the Ferguson uprisings. So, honest opinion, how do you feel about the UK? We won't tell nobody. <laughs> it's just the whole world is listening. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's like, it's like any colonizer country. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, what I what I what I appreciate about the the this place is the people here. Mm. You know, um, I've been able to. What a blessing to be able to meet some of the most uh, brilliant freedom fighters in this country, um, and I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the team here, and grateful for the the families who've lost their loved ones, who've been fighting for justice for their loved ones for a very long time. The campaigners who've been fighting against deaths in custody. The um, the really, you know, challenge to um, uh, and the ways in which this country really tries to make it seem like they're not as bad as America. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's interesting in a way. It's almost as if, like we, like the UK exported and Europe exported racism over to America. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if we just had longer to hide it yeah. in books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think I, I when, honestly when I go to like Western countries, I'm not excited. <laughs> um, I have no desire to come to the UK until I was invited here. It's yeah. like not I was not interested in that. Um, but then you meet you come to places and then you meet brilliant black folks who are fighting on the ground and I and then you're like, yeah, this is exactly why I'm here. Did you expect to receive the sort of support that you have from the UK? Was it? Um, I haven't. Ex I didn't realize that we were going to receive the kinds of support. We, honestly, when I go to other countries and people give me a round of applause, I'm like, that's nice because my <laughs> country is calling me a terrorist. And, <laughs> you know, when we went to Australia, we received the Sydney Peace Prize, Black Lives Matter, and we received. We were very, very well received, and um, we went to the National Press Corps in Australia, and I was like, this would never happen in America. Really? No, because we are not. We are fighting America, so <laughs> they don't want. They're not. Ex they're not trying to lift us up. We have received lots of praise from organizations and things, but from the country, no. We've been seen as um, unpatriotic, you know, and so um, it's always a warm welcome in other places because that's not always the way we're re received in our own country. So we also hear you on a spiritual level about going to Western countries, bum Babylon one time. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to ask, so where's the, what are like your top five countries that you'd like to visit that you haven't yet? I haven't been in South Africa yet. Okay. Um, there's probably lots of other places on the continent that I would like to visit. Um, I've studied in Nigeria, so that was amazing. I'd love to go to Ghana. Mm. Um, I do, um, I want to go to Berlin now. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't want to, but I've heard lots of amazing things about black artists there. Mm, and anti-gentrification laws as well. What'd you say? They've got some anti-gentrification laws yeah, as well. Really I think, yeah, it's an interest, I think there's like an interesting fighting place, so I'd like to go to Berlin. Um, that's all I got for now. <laughs> that's good. Those I hear three. Senegal banks. I hear really? it's really nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the food's supposed to be great. Is it? Um, yeah. Anyone ever been to Senegal? Mm. I have a Senegal. It's, it's go there, go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best response. Still east of the city. Free, free boys, everybody fuck with me. Zip it, the gang that's rough on the rhythm. Niggas wanna front like they don't know name. They did it for the yatties and they did it for the chains. We did it for the brothers in a real life lane. A man said, whack and mention my name. They can never try black ball me. Lunching them up cause I'm hungry enough And they don't want stuff but they talking enough Weighing a wave and I'm serving them up Franklin season told them enough but they don't wanna hear me Stepping up a level and they can't get near me We fucking, we fucking, we fucking it up We running, we running, who's running with us? They looking, they looking, they looking at us They wishing, they wishing, they wishing they was Fuck that grandman real I see me Still stay gas when I bump my CD Love my life but it ain't been easy questions before we open it up to um, the lovely audience. Oh, we have so a bit of a pop quiz for you. We oh. do. If you hate it, it was Alia's idea, just saying. Wow, it's, <laughs> it's great. Um, I was always bad at pop quizzes. <laughs> well, it's like a black British brummy slang pop quiz. So <laughs> we're gonna try and get you to guess what the following means in black Britain slash Birmingham, we've thrown some like black country ones in there for banter. <laughs> the black country is not a country full of black people. Just quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. Um, but we've thrown a couple in there for you too. Okay, so wait, let me get what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're about to ask me what these words mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I think they mean. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's Watch go. <laughs> <laughs> um, first on the list is <laughs> mad ting, sad ting. 
<laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but say it again, say it again. Use Mad it in context, use it, use it in a sentence, use it in a sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. The first one that we're trying to get um, <laughs> Patrice to guess is mad ting, sad ting. <laughs> okay, use it in a sentence. Okay. I think that pretty much is a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty much mad ting, sad ting, full stop. <laughs> mad ting, sad ting, period. That's, you know that's what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> if you're like walking down the street and you just like walk up to something like mad ting, sad ting, and like, <laughs> that's, is that what happens? <laughs> Or is it in a conversation with your home so, girl? Yeah, it'll be in a conversation. <laughs> so, Sarah, okay. All right, okay. say something to me. <laughs> okay. Oh, I was texting such and such, you didn't even text me back, you know? Mad thing said. <laughs> okay, is it, is it an expression of disappointment? <laughs> I was, I was yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, a limo. It's crazy, and it's also emotional. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's multifaceted, guys. Yeah. It's like, I'm mad, but I'm not surprised about it. It's, uh, like, it's yeah. one of those. It's like a nice okay. one of those. Okay, right, what's the next one? The next one is two twos, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Again, a se that's a sentence. That's a sentence. <laughs> All right, give me another one of their... <laughs> this is it, so like, two twos, yeah? Dot, dot, dot. And then you explain this horrible situation that happened to you. <laughs> 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 so another expression of disappointment. Basically. <laughs> yeah, or like emphasizing what you're saying. So I was walking down the road well, it's and like two T's, my man, came over and was chatting shit. So it's like an exclamation mark? Yeah. Or is it like a bold? It's, it's like a, it's you'll like, never guess it's what. It's like suddenly, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. As I'm reading down this list. <laughs> Are they all expressions That's of disappointment? I'm looking at this like, mad all the time. <laughs> Welcome to colonize <laughs> Okay. Sarah, this is over to you. I'm not, I'm not doing this This one. is you. Okay. Guys, you all know Big Shaq, innit? Shh. I'm not reading this one. You know exactly what this one. Skrr, pop, pop. Skrr, pop, pop. And I'm pom, 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 pom. Pum pum. Wait, was that a whole sentence? <laughs> All right. Rewind. One more time. One more time. One more time. <laughs> that you're gone. I'm uh -huh. excellent. It's you now. It's you. <laughs> this way, I hate the song with the bird in passion. By the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, one, yeah, two, orchestra. Scrap. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read that. Okay, we'll, we'll do like line by line. I'll take that one, you take that one. Okay, <laughs> okay right. Scrap. <laughs> no, I can't. Okay. Pat, pat. That's all you, babe. I pat, can't pat, do pat. it. I can't do it. Pat, pat. Just get a pop. <laughs> and a pop, pop, boom, boom. Do other people in the room know what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> pum, pum. Am I being, am I being <laughs> trolled here? <laughs> Any ideas what that would mean? Let's see here. I uh, know I don't. I have no idea. No, honestly, we don't either. We don't either. We have no idea. Um, the next one is a personal fave: jarring. Like jarring? Like mm -hmm. I'm like I'm floored. 
No. Oh, that's interesting. That that's a plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As in like, oh my God, he was so jarring. Oh. No, you wouldn't say he, you'd say Rakeem. Though. Yeah, but Rakeem like, was so yeah. jarring. Yeah. <laughs> Is that handsome? No. no. <laughs> um, that could be so many things. Someone sewed this thing. Okay. Like, give me intonation. Like, Rakeem is so... Jarring. <laughs> Okay, oh, Rakeem sent that five minute voice note again. He's so jarring. Ir like, he's irritating? Rakeem is irritating. Yeah. Yes, that's right. it's, that's like, right. it's like when something jars, like, <laughs> jarring. Hmm. Um, bab. Like, hey. Does that mean like you're hot? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> It's like a brummy term of endearment. It's like, oh, oh you're right, like, you're like, right, Bab. You like, basically took an E off of babe. Oh, <laughs> it's like like a sweetie. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. That's really a nice brummy. That is okay. Peng. <laughs> use it. Use it. Okay. Michael B. Jordan. Michael. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So then he's fine. Thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Him, Mbaku, everybody. All of them. All of them. Okay. Next. Um, Cobb. What? <laughs> Using the sentence. I went down to Morrison. Brought myself a cob. And what? Brought myself a cob. Is it a food? <laughs> Is it a... Uh... There's one on the table. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's multi-seeded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is it bread? Yeah. Yeah, like a bread it's, roll. Like a, it's like a bread roll, like a bat. <laughs> I'm getting it. Okay. <laughs> Next one will be... Lau it. Oh, like leave it alone. Yeah. My, yes. my partner is Caribbean, so. Okay. Oh, and they say that all the time. <laughs> one point. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got two more points. I got the Michael B. Jordan one. <laughs> um, so this is another one from the black country. Awamya. <laughs> one more, say it, give me context. You right, Baba Awamya? <laughs> That didn't give me context. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. The sad thing is, everyone here knows that. Okay, we do have a dialogue. You're right, Bab. I'm alright, Bab. I'm here. I'm calm. <laughs> huh? I have no idea. You're gonna go back to the states? Like these guys talk so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? It's gonna be good. Um, I don't know what that means. Can you want to give me a? Yes. So it just means how are you? <laughs> just like it's a greeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got you. Um, and the last one we have is skein. <laughs> it's not. Is it? Is it like synonymous to seen? Yeah. Because yeah. my just partner also says it. Yeah. They say seen in Canada. Okay. Really? And you all say skin. Yeah. Culture in that. Yeah. All over. Did say it in Canada? I was so surprised. Yeah, Toronto. Well, it's a bunch of Jamaicans and Trinidadians and really? Somali. See how uncultured I am? I thought it was pure white people in Canada, you know? I really did. No, there's a bunch of black people in Canada. It's especially fair. Toronto. I went to Dallas and there's black people. I was like, in Texas. Like, <laughs> I'm, 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 horses and cowboy there's, boots. I thought, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of cowboys. No there's 30 way. million black people in, in America, though. So we, we need everywhere. to go on tour. <laughs> we need to go on tour. Amazing. But thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. That was fun. Um, <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for listening. Juice.
the thing goes One, that's three quick maths. Everyday man's on the block. Smoke trees. See your girl in the park. That girl was a uckers. When the thing went quack, 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 you man were ducking. Old time Asney, he's got a pumpy. Old time my man, he's got a frisbee. Trap, trap, trap on the road. Moving that cornflakes. Rice crispy. Old time my girl Whitney. On the road doing ten toes. Like my toes. You man fall, I froze I see a pain girl, then I pose If she's not running, I ghost <laughs> Look at your nose What? You not hit her? Look at your nose Nose long like garden hose You get me? Boom, man's gonna come back in yeah. You know that, yeah. you're feeling that yeah, I don't know, I see you shivering in that Don't get shook, man's air, you're protected in yeah? Ah, boom, let's go Boom Pop up the four door with the four four It was one, two, three and four Chilling in the corridor, your dad is 44, and he still call a man for a draw. Let him know, when I see him, I'm gonna spin his jaw. Take my tricks by force, send my shot by force. Your girl knows I've got the sauce, no ketchup, just sauce, raw sauce. Boom, yo, Gah. the thing goes Don't know. The thing was good. 
Big Shack. <laughs> Yo. We're now going to open the floor for questions. Um, so if you want to talk to Tings, if you have anything to say, raise your hand. Yeah. Um, what are your, what is, what's next for the movement? What's coming up? Exciting plans. Um, well, we're expect this, it's going to be five years in July. And a lot of what we're doing is in being in de deep assessment around next steps for the organization and next steps around how we impact the movement. Um, we don't have concrete plans that we can share with folks right now, uh, but just know that we are, we're cooking up something good for folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Any more questions? Um, Soraya, and then we'll come here. Um, so being a queer person in kind of these black spaces, have you come up with any challenges kind of matching the kind of or maybe some of the old school movement with your new? Um, not as much anymore. Um, in a lot of ways, those first few years was we were battling up against a lot of different things. We were battling up against the old guard, the old civil rights guard and their um, brand of activism. Uh, a brand that was very different than us, you know. Um, they were very, you know, they were suit wearing, sort of Christian, very rigid in their approach, uh, and um, we were like antithetical to that. And so there was lots and lots of pushback and challenge. And but I, I, honestly, we've kind of like. I don't want to say we've overcome that because that, that homophobia is going to always exist, but we have been able to, I think, build out new spaces, especially as queer black people, to have these honest conversations with the old guard and with people who, in general, who, with black people in general, who feel uncomfortable with, with queer identity. What we went through those first two years, I couldn't have imagined that now we'd be in a very different place with those folks, but we really are. And I think that's just, says a lot about movement building and like coming back to the table and continuing to have conversations and also asking other people to have conversations with folk, those folks. We had um, lots of other elders intervene on, on elders uh, that weren't filling us. Mm -hmm. And there's a question over here and then over here. Hey, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence today. You've been really great. Um, so I had, it's kind of two questions. One, the first is, You've talked about how the world has received you and the reception that you've had outside of the US. And um, obviously your book is about when your own country calls you a terrorist. So one of the, the things I wanted to know is, are there any states in particular that you feel have been really receptive to what you're doing and that you've seen real change? Because obviously you're fighting a lot, but has where has that resulted in change for the good? And then the second part of that being, since, since your new president, um, what, how, what has the change been like within success and also just the reaction of all the, the progress that you have made? So, I mean, it's really, America's system is interesting because, you know, we have a state by state right, state by state, and then depending on what happens, it can go national or federal. So with like gay marriage, it was state by state, but it wasn't, um, so the state, you can live in a state and legally marry someone same sex but then you can go live in another state and that marriage not exists. 
because of the federal government. Same with like marijuana legalization. So California has, uh, we legalize marijuana, but Texas doesn't have marijuana legalization. So, so what you can, you know, smoke weed in your house, in your home, on your front porch in California. But if you try to do that in Texas, you can be criminalized for it. So it really depends state by state. Um, but then even that depends city by city. And in the states, some of the hardest states at this moment are definitely the states in the South and the Midwest because the moment that um, the Republican Party took over every single branch of government, they have gone with a force to sort of roll back um, abortion, um, roll back um, drug laws, you know, roll back uh, protest rights. Um, in some states it's now legal to um, drive your car into a, a crew of protesters. It is, it is legal, so they, multiple states have passed laws where it's legal to run protesters over with well, vehicles. It was um, before. Wow. Yeah, you mean in Charlottesville? Yeah. Yeah, it was before. Um, so there's, um, though the Midwestern states, we always say the Midwestern states and the South states, when they go, the rest of the country goes. So, which is why the, that very big fight against the pedophile in Alabama who was gonna become um, governor was a huge fight that black women really led and won. Um, but <clears throat> with that said, states that are always seen as the more liberal, progressive, states that are moving the country in another direction are California, New York, um, places like Colorado. Um, but those are not always the places where black people are in majority. Um, and so that becomes like a, a conversation and um, yeah, and, and, it, and it's just, it's, it's important that we're, we're mapping where things are happening in, in states. Um, you had a second question. So it was, it was about, um, like, oh, the impact. And, yeah, since what I'll say is if Hillary was in office, we'd be fighting her too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But obviously no one wants to have to fight a 45. You know, 45 is what I call Donald Trump, 45th president. Um, he has created an environment of chaos and mayhem, not just on the ground and people's everyday lives, but obviously in the national government. And it's very much on purpose. You know, I, I think there's a strategy to making a government feel ungovernable. Um, it's definitely a strategy that we've used. Um, he's not dumb. His cabinet is not dumb. They know what they're doing. Uh, they're, they've rolled back on, on immigration. They've rolled back on science, you know. And they're a model for white nationalism, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And so I think they become, um, I don't think it's about Donald Trump, I think it's about America. And that's the conversation that we need to be having um, for those of us who live in America, is what's, that, what's the fight for true transformation of the U.S. government. Um, so, so <clears throat> we're in those conversations. It's, you know, it's a day, it's, it's made our work harder, definitely. Um, but I think it's also made us feel clearer about how urgent something like Black Lives Matter is. Mm -hmm. We had one question over here. Um, I've been studying the Black Panther movement because um, I'm a journalist student and, and I did history. So do you reckon you take any of their techniques and embed it into the Black Lives Matter? Yeah, I think we do already. I think we um, are utilizing a set of techniques from across <clears throat> the world around how we use BLM as a structure to move an agenda forward. 
The Panther Party is interesting for me, not because of how popular they became, but um, the programs they were able to run. They ran free breakfast programs. They ran sickle cell clinics. Um, <clears throat> their model was um, um, something until revolution. No, no, no. It was. It's not the word. It wasn't the service. It wasn't the word service, but it was. But it basically was service until revolution. So their 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 whole ideology wasn't. We're not sitting around waiting for the revolution to happen. Black people need to get fed right now. Black people need support right now. Black people need health clinics right now. And so they created the space and the programming so that hundreds and thousands of black people could be taken care of uh, while they what they proclaimed was waiting for a revolution to happen. Well, that never happened in America, but they did create a foundation around how we program for our communities. And I think we utilize that. When the Black Panthers were in power, J. Edgar Hoover uh, made sure everyone in the FBI portrayed them as terrorists and they're doing the exact same thing to you. And it's a bit sad to see that nobody within American government has evolved and they still have the same ideologies, what, 20, 30 years? Yeah, I mean, what I will say is there are people in the American government that are fighting this idea that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. Um, one woman by the name of Congresswoman Karen Bass, <clears throat> she's my congresswoman, and from the minute that the FBI uh, report was leaked about identifying black activists as black identity extremists, she took the FBI to task, she took um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions to task, and she's um, called on Black Lives Matter activists across the country to come and talk about uh, the FBI's impact on our organizing and local law enforcement. So what's different from then, there were no elected officials trying to make sure the Black Panther Party was protected. Uh, we do have some elected officials, and I, and I think it's important that we don't, um, uh, that, that we just see the nuance. Like, um, yes, there's the same ideology, but there are forces, especially inside um, American government, that are saying, no, this is unacceptable, and this is what happened. And especially because we have this thing called the Congressional Black Caucus, and a lot of those folks used to be in the Civil Rights Movement, and a lot of them were impacted by FBI surveillance. So they're talking, it's making them also talk about their, what happened to them. And I think it's like a, an interesting, powerful moment to, to witness. I don't, is that okay with you? Yeah. Um, I, we had a question. We have two questions at the back. If we can just yeah, yeah, can get those first. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Thank you. Do you have a question? Just go ahead. <laughs> 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 Shaheen. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Shaheen? Um, hi. First of all, uh, you have the best eye roll I've ever seen. <laughs> Um, Thank you. you mentioned South Africa and Australia, and this morning I read that Australia is giving asylum and refuge to white farmers from South Africa whose land so is being, yeah, and whilst um, keeping black and brown refugees on those right. uh, crappy islands. But um, I think my question is, what overlaps do you see that BLM in the US has with like other global movements like what what things do you have in common what yeah just what are the overlaps from your point of view there's some major themes always i think with marginalized communities especially black around the world one of them is criminalization you know our communities are always over criminalized um criminalization is the first thing used against our communities rep state repression 
police repression. That is a conversation I have every single place I go where black people exist or indigenous people exist. I mean, it's just like, it literally sounds like the same sort of like script being played in all of our countries towards us. Um, and then I think the other thing is land rights, you know, become really um, important in the, I think in, in the States, it's a fight against gentrification, but in Brazil, it's a fight for land, right? Land rights. And so, um, and then I think the third major theme is, you know, class and economic justice and um, folks' ability to take care of themselves and resources and lack of resources. Uh, and it's also, it obviously varies where I go, but it's the same sort of themes everywhere. Um, and different people are fighting it in different ways. Uh, oh, I guess the other thing I'll say is there's a, a significant amount of creativity everywhere I go. There's some of the most brilliant artists, musicians, creators, uh, and that, I think that comes with being in a place that is like continually trying to like keep the boot on your neck. Like some of the most brilliant minds and creators come out of that. And I, I think it's important because I think that's like a big part of our movements that we don't always discuss or talk about. Hi, thank you so much for um, everything you said. It's been very informative. I just wanted to ask, who funds Black Lives Matter? Because obviously there's many different things within the media. As you were starting to get bigger and bigger, you obviously need a lot of funding. So yeah. Not George Soros. <laughs> had a demyth um, uh, some folks in Bristol, some woman who came, she was lovely, but she was like, so, George Soros funds y'all, how do you deal with that? And I was like, no he doesn't. <laughs> um, uh, we don't have that much funding. Uh, we have funding, but we, ha we don't have that much, especially not $30 million from George Soros. Um, but different foundations fund us. Um, we did a lot of work when Black Lives Matter first started, um, pushing for um, uh, the funding of more black institutions and black-led institutions because um, they're the first institutions to be destabilized and underfunded. And so um, there's some groups, um, some foundations that started the Black-Led Movement Fund. And it was an effort from uh, many of us um, in Black Lives Matter and the Movement for Black Lives to push funders to actually look at their dollars and see where, if it's going to black people and black communities. And what they started to realize is that maybe it was going to organizations that were supporting black people, but the leadership in those organizations were not black. And it became a really important tension in the foundation world. And we really sat with them and we had some of the hardest conversations in those first couple years um, and challenged them on, on how they did how they decided to ask us um, to, to receive funding, like the sort of like arduous reports we had to write for like $5,000, you know? And you'd be like, I gotta write a 50 page report for $5,000 and then you want me to tell you every week what I did with that money? Like, that don't make no sense. So we started to have these like fuller conversations um, uh, and it's been helpful actually for some of you all who have brought up funding because it's reminding me how much work we did with the foundation world. It's not perfect. Uh, it's not perfect because when we came out with our Move, uh, Move Over Black Lives policy document and we, we said the um, state of Israel was committing genocide against the Palestinian people, um, Zionists went after us. And 
um, some of our, some major funders pulled funding from us or said they weren't going to fund us again. So there's a, there's a conversation around around what just like what ends up happening when you go beyond civil rights of black people in America um, and you start to try to talk about a global conversation and I think that's the next phase of our conversations in the funding world. I don't know if uh, there is a team inside that identifies with the ANC and Mandela because exactly the same USA called Mandela a terrorist and uh, when he fought and succeeded he was one of the most honored Africans uh, in recent memory. So I don't know, it's, it's just that pattern that is being followed. So I don't know if that's something that is uh, in the book. And uh, I would be asking a question which is a follow-up from the question the lady asked. And uh, I would want to trace it back to the, the, the liberation movements that started in the Caribbean and in the USA, led by W.E.B. Dubois with uh, Marcus Garvey, the one um, uh, Bob Marley refers to as Buffalo Soldier in the heart of America. These guys, um, Garvey in particular, never really went to Africa, but he is at the heart of the liberation of Africa from colonialism. So when Black Lives Matter started, um, what was going through my mind was this is another movement that has started in the USA that is going to reach out again and kick out neocolonialism. Do you see that as a project worth fighting for? Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, so I don't talk about South Africa in the book. Um, um, I haven't been to South Africa yet. A lot of our folks have been and, and been working with different, there's, you know, there's lots of factions. Um, so folks are meeting with different types of folks in South Africa around um, where people are going from here. Um, but I, I think, um, yeah, I think Black Lives Matter is um, an anti-colonial project. Uh, I think it's a project that is purposefully trying to understand the plight of anti-black racism around the globe um, and how it impacts not just those of us and black people in Western countries, but also black people on the continent. Uh, and I think it becomes a, an interesting conversation the more places that we go to have those conversations. And, and, and the piece around Mandela, you know, Mandela didn't get off of, I, I, the only place I do talk about Mandela in the, our South Africa in the book is around Mandela and the terrorism charges. And he didn't get off the US terrorism list until 2008. So um, this is, you know, this idea of, of black people being terrorists is something that has been with us since you know we were brought to our you know taken from our countries and brought to other places, um, fighting in our you know our own countries for liberation. This idea of when we fight for our lives, you know, when we fight for democracy, when we fight to um, take control of our destinies, you know, to determine our our destinies, we are called terrorists. Um, and there's a long line, a long legacy of, of some of the most brilliant freedom fighters being labeled as terrorists. Thank you so much. Now we're just going to round up with um, a poem from Yasmina. But can we get a warm um, round of applause for all of yourselves mm -hmm. for coming out um, and also to Patrice for the time that you've given and all the knowledge nuggets you've just dropped. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much.
before we hand over to Yasmina, um, just to sign the podcast off, we have a note from Rakim, who couldn't be here today. Um, and he says, Patrice Khan Colors, you truly are a gem. You, Alicia, and Opal have helped to inspire a generation and arm us with a voice um, of cause, a voice of action, and a voice for change. Thank you for being you. Continue to be none other than you. Oh, and please sign my book that I'm going to buy later. Love you. <laughs> Bye. Um, he'll be here a little bit later. Um, and we'll hear a lot more about the book. Um, and we'll have an in conversation yonder um, on the stage with Sienna Bangora a little bit later. But um, last but by no means least, over to Yasmina. Hi, um, I'm Yasmina. Um, yeah, I have a poem. It's a little explicit. I hope that's okay. And it's based on a true story. It happened like two weeks ago. And it's about like being oppressed in a space that you're meant to feel safe. And yeah, it's called When They Dismiss My Blackness and Other Times They've Tried to Silence Me. When they tell you that your black pride is the same as white nationalism, they will frame it biblically. They will say, that Jesus should be the center of our identity as if this skin wasn't scriptured and crafted out of the very same dark ink that wrote the Bible through and through. They will tell you that black pride is the reason for division as if black pride wasn't the remedy born out of all this self-hatred and I know it's easy. It's easy to reject identity politics when your defaultness makes you person before color. It's easy to reject identity politics when you forget that Jesus's hair was as nappy as mine is. When they talk about your black pride, they will use the word boast. They will say it right after praise and worship, right after you have already given thanks to your God for loving all that you are underneath all of this hashtag black girl magic or hashtag melanin on fleek. And you will sit there wondering if you have been worshiping the right God when you stepped past the threshold of this here church, when they talk about how loud your blackness is, when they talk about how loud your blackness is, they will forgot my line. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Mm -mm. You're doing great. Um, when they talk about how loud your blackness is, they will giggle nervously as if they are half joking. They will tell you to hear them out and you will feel yourself shrink in your seat back into invisibility. They had the caucasity to snatch your platform again just so that they could highlight their sensitivities about how black Black Panther was as if I haven't counted the cinematic minutes that I've been forced to relate to characters that never looked like me. Their directors never looked like me. Tell me why they they don't like me, they don't like my joy, they cannot allow this joy, but they will say it is not their intention. They like to talk about intention. But what good is intention when I've started using their whitewash as bleach to scrub off all this to black? So excuse me, but your intentions are, for all intents and purposes, cancelled from now on. They will be handled 
from now on. These hands are not afraid to leave their dark marks on white supremacy anymore when they tell you how loud your blackness is. Make it bold and caps the fuck out of your pride. Cut them off by speaking even louder. Make sure that the motherfuckers at the back hear this shit. I won't repeat this shit because I am fucking tired of being made to feel like this. Be made to kneel at his white ego when they tell you to make Jesus the center. Tell them that the Lord made you black for a reason. Tell them that you birthed the whole of fucking humanity. And that sounds pretty damn biblical to me. Why shouldn't I be proud of what the Lord made me? I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And don't you ever forget it. And if they ever try that shit again, you know. Talking about your black skin, show them the names inked on it. It'll be the only time that you will do this and then tell them that these are not names that you pulled out of sensationalized news articles. Tell them it's your brother, your light-skinned and dark-skinned sisters, your lover. It's you getting your nappy hair checked at the airport for drugs. It's you being held in cells for days for walking while black. It's you being ridiculed in classrooms, being gasped at at the ATM like you don't have a bank account to withdraw from. You must surely want to fucking rob them. It's you that they keep silencing even at the pulpit of your own church. They will squeeze at your throat until you speak of your pain no more because white supremacy likes to play God and that sure the fuck will not be the center of this here black as fuck identity and if they ever have anything else to say about this loud and boastful blackness let it be nothing more than hallelujah and amen thank you <laughs>